I'm Haley from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast and part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by The CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's favorite newspaper. That's the Starling Tribune. I am the acting temporary chief editor this week. My name is Chris, and your other reporter for this episode 245 of the Starling Tribune is Michelle. What? No Redford? No Sundance? No indie film? No artful nudity? We have to fix this. We really do have to fix this. And since I need a quote also, ugh, haven't we been tortured enough? It's a mixed-centric episode, guys. This podcast is recorded live on Thursday, July 11th, 2019 on the streaming home of the Gunna Geek Network, that is geeks.live. And tonight we'll be discussing Legends of Tomorrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the last week that could, and let's be honest, probably will impact future episodes of Legends, as well as The Flash, Supergirl, Arrow, Batwoman, and any other shows they come up with between now and then. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at GunnaGeek.com, where you can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, Michelle, for setting that up for us. So why don't you just go ahead and break down this latest episode of Legends of Tomorrow for us? Yes, this is Season 4, Episode 10, The Getaway. It aired Monday, April 8th, 2019, directed by Viet Nguyen. Credits include two episodes of Flash, two Legends, one Lucifer, and four of iZombie. Written by Matthew Mala, credits include 11 episodes of Legends, and Ubay Muhammad, credits include two of The Whispers, one Arrow, and five episodes of Legends. Pretty good crew on this one. And let's go back and step back in history a little bit. This episode called The Getaway originally aired back on April 8th, 2019, and the actual chief editor of this newspaper, one Stargate pioneer, would punish me quite heavily if I didn't say, hey, let's go back and look at the ratings. But there's not much to look at when it comes to ratings, because when we go to this week in April, the only thing that aired was Legends of Tomorrow, which pulled in a live plus DVR of 1.57. The other shows, Supergirl, Arrow, and Flash, were all on break this week. So it was a Legends only, and with the live plus DVR numbers, those are pretty solid for what we've been seeing. So not bad once that's all factored in. Exactly. I think with it comes to this, a lot of people were on break. It was that certain weird time in April. Probably people caught this even later on in the week. And of course, the app. We keep talking about the app. They don't release the numbers, but they have to be big enough in order to renew everything. It's like we've said, between the app and the Netflix deal that they have right now, the numbers have to be pretty good. Although it will be interesting. This is a little inside baseball. Let's talk about streaming services for a second. Time Warner, who owns Arrow and the associated shows in the DC universe did announce what is it the HBO Max streaming service it's going to be coming out that appears like it's going to have HBO content plus other content that is from HBO and licensed but costs two more dollars than HBO but they specifically name drop the fact 
that Batwoman would be streaming on there. And there was a mention to the effect of any of the shows they have that are not streaming on Netflix with the current deal. So my thought is they're probably going to pull that stuff off of Netflix once the deal runs out and put them all on HBO Max and probably the DC streaming app. So they're going to be on multiple apps of their own that you can subscribe to. It sounds like I have no idea what they're doing. Just saying, enjoy the Netflix piece while you can, folks. You know, it almost makes me feel like I hope with HBO Max, there's a cable version. So that way, people who have to do cable or satellite like I do, I have extremely low speed internet and only one person could be online at a time. So I actually do need to have like a satellite hookup. You know, when you get the HBO package, there's HBO, HBO Kids, HBO East and West and this and that. It would be great if there was like HBO Max in there. I would totally dig that. So that would be cool. I will say as a former Comcast subscriber, if you've listened to some of their podcasts, I do two weeks ago, I did talk about that. I finally cut the cable cord. I just have internet with them and stream everything now. But Comcast cable boxes have built in apps that run on them that you can get that included Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, YouTube. I don't remember if there was an HBO plugin or not. But the way those worked is it came through the cable box, that app subscription, and it wasn't actually going through the internet through your router. It was doing stuff via the cable network to reach out and do that stuff. So it's possible maybe, but I have no idea what all is going to be on HBO Max. They've already said they want to put friends and things like that on there. So it sounds like it's going to be a mishmash of properties they can stream that people will want to watch and then exclusive content on HBO. I don't even think they know at this point in time. All they've really officially announced is here's some originals. We're going to have friends and we're going to have Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I went, I have no idea what's on here. I'm confused. You already have HBO streaming services. What do I do? I don't know. I'm lost. Well, why don't we get ourselves unlost? I like this plan. And talk about the episode, which actually finds our team a little bit lost. We find out that Nixon ends up telling the truth. And for those who may not be familiar with American history, Nixon was famous for saying, I am not a crook. He was covering up the events of Watergate and all that jazz, when in reality, he definitely was a crook and he ended up having to resign because of all the stuff he wanted to avoid. Well, Gideon finds out that in 1973 in Orlando, Nixon just starts telling the truth. I am a crook. I am this. I am that. He can't satisfy his wife. (laughs) Everything just spills all the beans. This brings about global chaos because it interrupts trade agreements and what's going on in Vietnam. And it's just, you know, you want everyone to tell the truth, but he just tells the truth about everything, which is a problem. And of course, our team, you know, gets into action. But there's a hiccup because a certain Hank Haywood takes over the Rave Rider. Well, he tries to, right, Chris? With moderate success because Zari already knows what's going to happen and they disable the Wave Rider, which I think could be, they showed cables pulled underneath the table, but could also be, hey, Gideon, we need you to play dead, basically. And let's be honest, Gideon would probably enjoy that fact because I doubt there's any overriding programming in Gideon that says, hey, you have to obey Hank Haywood. No, I think they got rid of all that stuff when everything with Rip went down with the other, other secret code he had. 
I'm pretty sure they scrubbed all the secret codes and it's only a legend and Hank's not a legend. Right you are. I don't know. This this episode was just amazing. All about family. I love when they steal the RV. They kidnap Nixon. They steal the RV and they find t-shirts that say Barnes Family Vacation. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I had flashbacks to a certain film franchise. The Vacation Series from National Lampoon with Chevy Chase, because I had that same feeling too. I was like, oh, this is vacation. Where's Chevy? (laughs) I know. It was like I had the little theme song in my head. It's like, yes, I know this is 1973 and doesn't happen in that time era, but I still had that song. It was perfect. It had that nice feeling you get with like the vacation comedy-esque movies, but also something like Home Alone when you had the repeated callback to we forgot Charlie. <laughs> Who's able to do a little bit of shape-shifting because she's able to pretend to be Nixon well enough to at least buy the legend some time. Yes, gives them a little bit of time that they can escape with the real Richard Nixon to figure out how exactly they're going to heal them, or fix him rather, because at this point in the episode, he's by himself and they haven't gotten the rest of the legends there, so Constantine's still on the wave rider. He can't do the magic mojo to figure out what's wrong and extract the truth-telling beetle. I wonder if there's some kind of symbolism to a bug that makes you tell the truth. I don't know. From him, so yeah. And it's good that Charlie's able to reuse her gift at least a little bit to give them that time and make the Secret Service think that President Nixon is still in his hotel room freaking out because he can't lie. Exactly. He ends up with the legends and also there is Mona because she's a fugitive as well. That is correct. After last week's episode where she basically ran away from the Time Bureau to try and save her woofy boyfriend, for lack of a better term, the uh, Time Bureau wants to have words with her as well. And Sarah is a bit She's a bit uh, raw because things are not going well with Ava. Raw and I think a little bit distracted because as much as she's trying to put it out of her head, she keeps lingering on it and it distracts her a little bit from everything else that's going on, which is probably something that would come up if you're going to rate her as a captain this week is that she's not doing a great job of separating her work life from her personal life here. Granted, those lines are very blurred between those two, seeing as the director is her I don't know, are they still technically in a relationship now? Did they officially break up or was it just they stepped away for a little bit? I think it's one of those really severe arguments where it's one of those don't talk to me for a while. Fair. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, I think that's where Sarah and Ava is. I think Ava is very much... I really... I, I can't see you right now. I can't talk to you right now. Just no that works well when they finally get the bug out of course they put it in a jar and they give it to mona well she does have the creature experience after all so if you want to go with a real reason other than the fact that they wanted to give her something to do she has experience being a caretaker for magical creatures and that means giving them air yes which does not end well no because this is a bug that feeds off of lies And so if you're lying, it goes nuts. And then it enters, it basically enters everyone. It enters Constantine, Sarah, Ray, and eventually Nate. Yes. Who's was your favorite? 
I'm biased. It's Mick because you're expecting some great deep dark secret after uh, they start saying, I don't like the name Heatwave. He's like, I don't care. And the bug flies in him and everyone kind of gets this look on their face and then just straight deadpan Dominic Purcell. I'm thinking of growing my hair out. <laughs> and you're just like, what? What? This is his secret that no one else is supposed to know? Not that he's a world famous author or anything like that that writes somewhat smutty novels, one could argue. It's no, that he wants to grow his hair out. And I was like, ah, that's just a funny moment to me. I love that they went that route just to defy expectations. Yes. And he says like Fabio. And for those of you who might not know who Fabio is. You can't believe it's not butter. But he's more famous for being the model of a lot of the Harlequin romances. Nice chest, long, flowy, blonde hair, the blue eyes, that nice jaw. And it was just beautiful. And he's like this ideal person. And considering that Mick is posing as Rebecca Silver, the author of romance novels, I think that was a great thing to reveal. Well, and I think that Dominic Purcell and uh, Fabio do have a very similar, very square, rugged chin line. I think I said that wrong, but you guys know what I mean. They kind of look similar, rugged jawline. That's it. That's the word I was looking for. I know words. I do podcasts. I have to admit, mine was Ray. <laughs> Those are good, too. Because he's just like, sometimes I lie at night and I look into the darkness and I think the darkness is me. He's all about how why do you wear that trench coat the constantine he's like i why do you wear that trench coat why do you do this i don't like gluten he's just going on and on about all these like cute little things sometimes it's really weird and then it goes off to something mundane but it's so great especially when they get pulled over by the cops and he freaks out because he is the boy scout and he's like i've never been pulled over what do i say what do i say and sarah's all calm and cool at that moment because she's been there oh yeah i'm pretty sure she's had to lie a lot in her life her life as a uh, league of assassins member or a spoiled rich kid in starling city yeah the daughter of a cop yeah knows how to lie to cops yeah oliver queen probably taught her or something who knows <laughs> And the bug goes into him and he tells the cop we're from the future and we have the president and the cop, because it's the seventies, he's like, yeah, drugs. You're high as hell. <laughs> and Hank goes old school, doesn't he, Chris, to find the legends? He does. They don't have their cool gadgets or anything like that, but they commandeer the cop car and they're also just monitoring the radio waves and late listening to hear what any police officers may run into. So when you get that call about these nut jobs that are super high that think they're from the future, that's when he goes, oh, that's our legends. Time to go and get them. And Zari tries to help. What did you think of her radio voice? So this is fantastic. They had to go old school also to find a way to share information with the legends because they didn't have earpieces in or anything like that. So Zari's way to give them instructions about what to avoid and things like that is to be a radio DJ and use that smooth operator voice in between songs to give hints and talk about traffic jams on this route so you might want to ride around and take the 303 and things like that i thought it was great and she's got a really good radio voice i'm, I'm jealous i wish i could sound that smooth behind a microphone yeah she reminded me of one of the like late night songs of love and romance delilah 
that radio DJs who is she had vibes of that to me and I just remembered that DJ's name as we're sitting here because I'm like I remember hearing this I just can't remember who she is and sorry was with the time bureau because she's working with Nate Nate and her are pretending to be on Hank's side and sorry going to Gary for help Come on, Chris, how much did you love this? It was delightful. Anytime we get to bring Gary in to just be wacky and weird, it's always delightful. And he gets one of the best lines of the show later, which is, man, too many of those flashy things isn't good for you or something to that effect. <laughs> and she gives him the task of uncovering a conspiracy. And Chris, according to Gary, what do you need to uncover a conspiracy? That's a good question. Because I don't remember. I'm assuming it was the yarn and the maps and stuff. <laughs> As he plots everything out on basically a chalkboard or a whiteboard. And he's got a label to, what was it, Broflix instead of Netflix. And he was trying to string yarn between all of these things. Think of those typical tropes you see when you're like, I have to chart out this mystery. Like Sherlock Holmesian type things or ripoffs of that you've seen in current day. Where they've got tons of little sticky notes around a room. And they've got to make their thought web, for lack of a better term, and say, this point connects to this point that connects to this point. They used to do it in Heroes a lot when they were trying to figure out what was going to happen in the future. And he totally tries to make his web of conspiracy before he gets very confused and realizes he's not the right person to try and unravel a web of conspiracy. So he has to go get some help. In the form of Nora. That's true. Hoping that she's reading a mystery novel. She's not. <laughs> but she does a really good job. She knows where to look. And Gary, you know, it's not like he doesn't contribute. They come across needing a password and Gary, again, with the flashy thing is like, I always have to reset my password <laughs> and they need to know Hank's childhood dog. And this gets Nate and Hank. At first, Nate is like trying to play his dad, getting him to talk about things and gets the name of the dog, which was silver because of the Lone Ranger and such. But then he actually starts to open up about being the son with a single mom because, you know, his father died about how she had to be both. And then sometimes she didn't, you know, he realizes that perhaps, you know, she tried her best. And then he realizes, wow, maybe I really didn't do my best and such. And the look on Nate's face. Yeah. They have a moment here where Nate finally feels like he might understand his father because he's, that's one of the common plot points they've had this season is he doesn't really understand his dad. And they're not really close either because they just can't understand each other. And now he starts to get an idea of what his father's all about. The life his father's led and why he's made some of the decisions he has. And uh, it's kind of nice to see that realization come into play. And then you also feel bad at the same time that he's playing his dad to find these things out. And even Nate feels bad about it because when they do the whole contrived thing to find out about his past and the name of his dog being Silver... After that, you can kind of see this look that he's trying to hold back of, oh my God, I can't believe I exploited our relationship like this. We had a moment. He's like, hey, the legends aren't going anywhere. Why don't we go get some ice cream or something like that? Do something father-son related. And Hank has a moment of his own, too, where he's kind of like, yeah, that'd be fun. And instead of calling his son Nathan, refers to him as Nate. It was a nice moment. Yeah, interrupted by a demon. Yeah. Tends to happen on this show, though. <laughs> yeah, Neron in the uh, form of Desmond comes in. And because of Nora's magical being, you know, she's magic. 
she uses she's a magic user and, and was possessed by a demon and, and such basically she can feel him and therefore he can sense her and Neron actually gets in touch with Hank using something called a public telephone what what is this you you mean a cell phone that we all share no there was a time when phones had a handle and there was a cord from the receiver to the phone and you actually had to pick the handle up and down to you know hang up and then you picked it up when it rang to talk to people and then there were these devices out in public where you could well back then it was a dime eventually it was a quarter to use it and actually dial the phone number that you had to have known by heart i know knowing people's phone numbers by heart or keeping one of those little address books things with you know and such yeah it, one of those things that's crazy i know it was cool as a nice throwback but here's the thing i realized as a, a grown adult who's in my 30s now i went and looked at that as like oh, a phone booth or a public phone that's great and then i paused and went I wonder how many people who are watching this show don't understand that that actually was a thing. It wasn't unheard of to be like, hey, I'm going to so to someplace. I'm going to the mall. Okay, well, call me when you get there. And it wasn't a matter of, okay, I'll take my cell phone out and call you. It was, I got to find the pay phone, drop in a quarter, call back to the house, be like, hey, mom, I made it to the mall. We're going to go see this movie. We'll be home at whatever time, stuff like that. I mean, even at my, like my high school, there were in, I graduated from high school in the early 2000s. People are starting to have cell phones. We still had public phones outside the high school so people could call back home or get in touch with people for rides and stuff like that. And I try to think now as I walk around, when's the last time I saw a public phone? I honestly, for the life of me, cannot remember the last time I saw a payphone somewhere. I, I really can't. I'm old. Neither can I. I remember when they started to go away, like... I remember places in my town where there would be a phone booth, a public phone. And then it's just like, wait, that's gone. Why is it gone? And it's like, oh, because all of us have these little flip phone, you know, flip phone. Back in the old days, they were flip phones and you had to press the numbers. It's true. You know, multiple times. And then it's like a B is like one, two. And then you, you accidentally, it's like, oh no, I didn't mean the C. So you have to do it again. Oh, it took forever. And if you were real lucky, your phone had rudimentary voice dialing. So you could say, go to a contact that said, call Bob and record your voice saying, call Bob. So you could hit a voice button and be like, call Bob. And it would do that. But if you said, give Bob a call, it would not understand. For instance, it had to be the exact same phrasing. This is the dark ages, kitties. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's okay. We are past those times now. You can enjoy your pocket computers now and not even have to worry about the hardness of T9 typing. I used to be able to do that without even looking at the phone. That's one of the things I miss, is I could sit there in the back of a classroom in college and text someone without even looking at my phone, and then send it out. Do that with a touchscreen phone nowadays. You can't do that. I remember my mom was against texting for so long, and then eventually I got her phone, and it just try it. And she realized on her lunch break, that she could text me these epic rants about her coworkers, <laughs> and it made her feel so much better because she did not have to say them out loud and she could say whatever she wanted on her lunch break to me and so i would get on my phone and then there would just be the, this epic 
from my mother about her going. And it's just like, I better read all of this because she's going to expect me to know what she said. When's the quiz? <laughs> yeah. And what's, what's interesting is how quickly she picked up like text lingo and the use. She actually uses more text shortcuts than I do. It's weird. It's a Twilight Zone. I know. Yeah, as we said, Sarah's in a really odd space. Her and Mona. What did you think about that? So, in Sarah's mind, having stuck up for Mona and protected her last episode, that's kind of become the scapegoat reason for why she's having her problems with Ava. And maybe that's partially fair to say, but to dump it all and be like, if I hadn't helped Mona, none of this would have ever happened, I don't think is fair because Ava and Sarah's differing viewpoints of rigid adhesion to the rules to rules. What the hell are those? There was going to be a conflict at some point in time. What happened to Mona just kind of brought that to a head sooner than it probably would have naturally. So Mona's the scapegoat right now for why everything went wrong. And I think unfairly takes the brunt of some of it. I know she tried to tell Sarah so many times about that it was her that killed the Time Bureau agent, that she turned into a wolf, and she didn't intend to. Her emotions got out of control. And when Sarah gets the truth bug, there's sort of different types of truths. There's the truth of the heat of the moment. And that's sort of like that scapegoat moment, where at that moment, Sarah's anger at herself, at the situation, her frustration, made her think at that moment it was the truth. And Mona runs away. And to the diner where she, there's some time bureau agents. And what did you think of her transformation in the diner? It's pretty cool. I mean, it's not the most expensive transformation they're doing there, but I think it works for TV and you kind of get that B-movie effect of the werewolf transformation. And then Sarah comes along and, you know, at first I thought it was great because it's her and Constantine and she starts talking to Constantine. She says like, okay, tell me you told you so, blah, blah, blah. And Constantine is actually saying, you know, I think right now what you need is one of your own pep talks. And that's basically what he does. And she's just like, yeah, I needed that, even though it was a lie. And, but then Sarah tells Mona the truth, that everyone gets like that sometimes. It's all right to actually feel your feelings. Yes, which is a very interesting thing when you think about how Sarah started this show as the white canary uh, still raging and psychotic from having her had her soul brought back to her at one point in time to now realize, hey, it's okay to have a feeling, to express it. You don't have to just kind of shove it into some dark corner of your mind until it just spills over. So considering everything, how would you rate Sarah as a captain? So I think if you start at the beginning of the episode, your rating is probably fairly low, but the realization and how they clean things up at the end kind of brings it up. It's not a stunning performance as captain this week, but it's passable. So passable means 70%, so I would give it a 7. That's what I think I'm going with. How about you? I would agree. She had a solid plan at first, but then, of course, things changed because Hank took over the Wave Rider and everybody had to come into 1973. But she did forget Charlie, not once, but twice. 
<laughs> which is hilarious to me. Or was it three times they did the, where we forgot Charlie. I can't remember, but every time it, like I said, at the top of the show had that sitcom feel. Cause I kind of zoomed in on them and they turned and looked at each other. Like, <gasps> I know. Oh, this is like legends as a comedy. It was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would have to agree. At some points it would have been like a five, but how sh everything ended with, you know, how she was able to take care of Mona and then get everybody together. It ends up being a seven. Yeah, I think it's a fair rating. If she had not figured it all out, it'd be much, much lower. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of Hank's transformation? One of the things that we talked about, there was a new story about how they were going to take Hank into like a darker, more obvious villain role, but they decided, because they love the actor so much, to do a course change. Do you think the course change? was logical did you believe it so i did because they had that really good father-son moment we talked about earlier in the show where you can finally see them nate and uh, hank understand each other and kind of come to understanding of oh i understand how my father thinks and oh i kind of get how my son thinks and nate when he has the truth bug in in him still be like i like working with my father i want to do more of this and you can kind of see in hank's mind where he'd be like wow i kind of want to keep doing this too Maybe the better solution here is keep working with my son because it helps us build up our relationship more. And let's be honest, whether you like Nate's course over the show or not, he does have a lot of experience with the kind of things the legends run into that the Time Bureau deals with. And he's a bit more of a known quantity than the unknown quantity that Nate has been working with. So by kind of bringing back that father-son relationship and bringing them closer together, I totally buy the, the transition of why he'd want to work with his son, step away from where he is, and for lack of a better term, not turn heel, if you want to use wrestling terminology. So I totally bought it. How about you? I did, which makes the ending of the episode tough, which we'll get to in a moment. It makes me think that Neron was using Hank's name to put all the property and such in the past. I think that's possible. But if it's in Hank's email, one would assume Hank would at least have some knowledge of it. So maybe Neron's doing that with Hank's permission because it's easier to do it that way. I don't think it was a matter of Hank not knowing. Yeah, it seems as though, because he says to Neron, at first, I liked your plan. I thought it was right. But then I realized that we shouldn't be doing it. Like it was the wrong approach. So it seems as though he was on board at first that maybe exploiting the magical creatures, but then working more with the Time Bureau, working more with the Legends, working more with Nate, and then having that big reveal. Because he does say to Nate before the truth bug, everything I've done, I've done for you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Nate has that wonderful, you know, I love you moment, which he's never been able to say to his father that he loves him. So yeah, I think it was earned. Of course, I do wish we had another episode. Yeah, it makes it that much more bittersweet that they come to this realization as father and son. And then we have the end and you go, ow, why? It hurts. Yeah, because Hank tells Neuron, I don't want to work with you anymore. And Neuron's just like, well, I don't need you anymore. And basically sucks the life essence out. And Nora feels it. And she escapes her cell in order to help. And what is probably not a low expenditure of power to do so either. 
Yeah. And I know the episode, the title of the episode is The Getaway, and that is the name of the RV. So that's sort of like the obvious takeaway. But basically, Nora gets blamed immediately because she's found over Hank's dead body, and Nate is, of course, upset. It's a matter of very poor timing there when she shows up. Yeah, and she uses more magic in order to get away. Exactly. Well, she, and she really has no choice because you would imagine, put yourself in Nora's shoes. You're trying to do the right thing to go and save someone because Neron is killing them. By the time you show up, they're dead and someone walks in who is that person's son who you've had an adversary relationship with in the past. You're not going to be able to talk to him rationally. Be like, this wasn't me. I was trying to help. And let's be honest, if you're Nate, what's your incentive to believe her also? Exactly. So, Chris, is there anything else about the episode you want to talk about? So, I, I was kind of bummed that Ava just took a leave of absence and wasn't there that week because it seems strange to me that she's always, she's so dedicated to the Bureau, but she would step away. I mean, maybe that's an indicator of just how much that relationship between her and Sarah means that it messes her up that much, that conflict between them over the job that it causes her to step back. But I'm very curious to see what happens when presumably Ava comes back next week and has to deal with the fallout of, okay, Sarah and I have been fighting. I had to step away. I stepped away. So Hank stepped in to run the organization. Oh, and he died because he stepped in to run the organization while I was away. So I think that further compounds her guilt and issues she's been having that has strained the relationship between the two of them. And I think it'll be interesting to explore. So that's the last thing I could think of. What did you have? Sorry, and Nate. I get it. I get it, but I don't. I, I like the way the actors interact and stuff like that, but I don't know that I necessarily would ship them or buy a relationship between them, especially when you consider the fact that Nate was in a relationship with Amaya for how long over multiple seasons and was really screwed up by it. I, I don't know that you need to push him into another one. He's, he's becoming that guy on the ship, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's like, we need a love story. We need somebody to pull it off, somebody with a big heart. And they decided to make it Nate because I think they're trying to set up Nora and Ray. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to do it. But I don't know. I, well, Mick had Gamora for a while. That's her name, right? I think it is. I'm not sure. Marvel might. I don't think it was actually Gamora because Marvel probably wouldn't like that. But it was something along the lines of that. Grima or, yes, it was G something like that, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, it must be like Grima or something. So, I guess that leaves Nate. By process of elimination, it's either him or Gary. <laughs> yeah, Charlie's too new. Constantine's still pining over his lost love, so. Yeah, process of elimination. <laughs> Sticker with Nate. It does have ramifications later on as the season develops, I will tell you that. But, yeah, it's interesting. The actors are pulling it off. That's all I have to say. If the actors weren't pulling it off so well, and you wouldn't buy the fact... Those actors mesh really well together, so you buy the fact that the characters potentially would. But if those characters had... Excuse me, the actors had no chemistry, it would be like me and Arrow when I was like, I just don't see the chemistry between uh, Katie Casty and uh, Stephen Amell. I just never saw it personally so it, it didn't jive well with me so th this is one case where again actor chemistry trumps logical plot progression where people going wait what why exactly and that relationship is explored 
in the next episode, which is called Seance and Sensibility. It's season four, episode 11. It originally aired Monday, April 15th, 2019. When Mona discovers that her favorite author, Jane Austen, might be at the epicenter of a magical alert, Mona, Sarah, Charlie, and Zari find themselves in 1809. Directed by Alexandra LaRoche, written by Grain Godfrey and Jackie Canino. And I will say this, this is the episode that has a lot of Legends fans kind of divided. Because even some diehards were like, this was too ridiculous. And I'm just like, of course they would do this. What's Legends? It's supposed to be, isn't it? Yeah. And so I'm going to warn you again, like I'm going to completely understand you and SP's take on it because I'm going to respect it because it was, there's been a, there was a lot of like discussion between legends fans of like this episode. It's going, it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. I'm intrigued. And we will be talking about that in the next episode of the Starling Tribune, obviously. But before we get to that, and before we shut this thing down, I think we need to get into some news. <laughs> Live from the Starling Tribune main news desk on floor 52 of Starling Tribune Tower, it's the weekly news roundup with our chief news anchor, Michelle Ely. Michelle, we'll toss it on over to you now. What's going on in the world of Arrow and the greater DC universe? Thanks, Chris. First, we actually do have Arrow news. TV Line has learned that Catherine McNamara, who debuted and recurred during season seven as Mia, the child of Oliver and Felicity is going to be a series regular for the 10 episode last season. This really shouldn't be a surprise considering that Joseph David Jones, who plays future Connor Hawk, Ben Turner, AKA Braun Tiger's son, who is eventually adopted by Diggle and Lila was himself promoted to series regular last month. Plus also reported by TV line, the role of Diggle and Lila's grown up biological son, John Jr is being cast for the Flash Forward storyline. And we have learned that Arrow has 10 episodes, obviously comes back Tuesday, October 15th, but the first episode is called Starling City. So either we're talking about time travel or it's a callback to something from early on in the series. I mean, it's entirely possible with the monitor involved, there could be time travel, so... I'm curious. I want to know where they're going to go with this. I think it's also pretty cool that uh, Catherine McNamara got promoted to series regular. That being said, I just think that was the last one they announced and waited until this long. Because let's be honest, like you said, with everyone else getting bumped up to series regular, Oliver Queen's daughter is going to have to be a series regular in a show called Arrow. And I know this is going to fuel a lot of speculation that fans have out there of going, hmm, they're really fleshing out everyone that's in this future Star City. Are they gearing up to try and do a spinoff when this is all said and done? And part of me goes, maybe they are. But then another part of me goes, I don't know. They've done eight seasons of Arrow right now. Even if it is its own independent story, but spun off, I think it's going to be very hard to do all the other shows set in the current day and one set in the future and then try and figure out how they would all interconnect and how something you do in, say, Batwoman would potentially then impact the future Arrow shows. It could be a nightmare to try and manage. It would. I wonder if Oliver is having to visit the different 
Earths. That could be. Yeah, Crisis on Infinite Earths is about different Earths and how some of them are getting destroyed and, and merging. I don't want to spoil it because people haven't read the comics or anything. It would be interesting if eventually, I don't know, if Crisis impacts the future because there is that weirdness about crisis when the monitor and the anti-monitor are involved in how timey, wimey, squishy, squishy things kind of got. It wouldn't be unheard of, especially in the DC comics, to bring characters from the future to the present day. Just look what happened with the Legion of Superheroes, basically, at one point in time, is some of the folks from the future, and we saw it in Supergirl, come back to the present day and become part of that story for a while. Like, we've got well, I haven't watched this season, but I assume Brainiac is still hanging out with the Supergirl group, and he, we know he's from the future, so it's possible. I mean, maybe they set it up so that they bring some of uh, the future Star City residents back to present day for Crisis or something like that. I think it could be kind of cool to have Oliver Queen meet his daughter, a grown-up version of his daughter. And they fight side by side. Yeah. Passing the torch, literally, which you know they want to really do since this is the end of Arrow. If you could literally have Oliver pass the bow, for lack of a better term, to his daughter, it'd be pretty powerful. It would. Our next pieces of news have to do with Legends. Good news. Matt Ryan is returning as a series regular for the fifth season of Legends. Which is going to be very helpful because this ties into the next article of news, which is Legends has promoted Olivia Swan, who portrays Astra Logue, to series regular. This news is very spoilery about how season four ends and sets up season five. How this season four ends, you do meet the adult Astra, she does some things, and does some other things that sets up next season. So it does make sense for Constantine to stick around. And if she's going to be the big bad, she wants to do some things in hell. It's hell related. And of course, Constantine's going to be conflicted because Astra is, when she was a little girl, Constantine lost her soul to hell. And he's always been trying to get it back. So of course, he's going to be like, well, we've got to stop her. But can I save her? Right, and we like having John Constantine be conflicted in things that are going on. Matt Ryan pulls it off really well. So as someone who enjoys Matt Ryan as Constantine and is finally getting around to finishing watching the Constantine TV series that was on Netflix, excuse me, not Netflix, NBC, I'm happy to see him come back. And I do enjoy the interaction that Constantine has with the rest of the Legends crew. So I'm totally on board with him coming back. I haven't gotten far enough in this season of Legends to really remember Astra very well. But hey, I'm all for it. Bring more people in. Keep being supernatural and weird. That's what it's all about. Keep Legends weird. Exactly. And that's all the news I have. Well, excellent. That's some interesting stuff. Thank you for reporting on that. That being said, as I look at the time and everything that we've discussed, it is time for us to start wrapping up this latest episode of the Starling Tribune. So a giant thank you to everyone who did participate in the chat room over at Geeks.Live as we recorded this episode live. But also a giant thank you to those of you that download the audio podcast over at StarlingTribune.com or catch the video replay over at YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek. A friendly reminder, if you do have an Amazon device, aka Amazon Voice Services tools, things like that, you can enable our podcast as a skill. 
So you can basically say, hey, A-Word, play the latest episode of the Starling Tribune, and she'll do it for you. Another friendly reminder, we do have a Discord server. You can find that over at gungeek.com Discord. You can come and join in all the wackiness that takes place there. You can talk to us about Arrow, Legends, Flash, any of the other DC shows in the Starling Tribune channel. But biggest reminder of all, don't forget, you can catch us live as we record the Starling Tribune here at www.geeks.live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. We would love to hear from you. We are the Starling Tribune on Facebook and Instagram, at Starling Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, Chris, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag, I couldn't find a way to squeeze Haas in this week. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag Fabio Rory. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.